the thing that, t- that took my uh, interest today is um, there's been a report issued in the last 24 hours from the uh, HS2, which is the high-speed rail network here in the UK, about the fact that they've been carrying out some tests, side-by-side tests, of various types of fuels, so uh, red diesel, red diesel with additives. Yeah, so they, they've issued this uh, report on the fact that they've been trying uh, alternative fuels because obviously here in the UK um, we're just a matter of months now from losing uh, red diesel as an alter- as our preferred fuel of choice. So there's been lots of work done on HVO fuels and hydrogen and electric and uh, various other bits and pieces. And one of the things that struck me about this press release from HS2 Limited is that it, uh, one of the people mentioned in it is a guy called Neil Waite. Um, he is head of environmental sciences at HS2 Limited. And it struck me as just how many projects are big enough and important enough to actually have not just a head of environmental sciences, but my assumption is he is probably head of a department. So it's not just one person, it's an entire department devoted to environmental sciences. And, and I guess that that's a... That reflects where we are today. Um, the environment obviously is a key concern. Uh, lots of um, protests and, and um, speeches and what have you going on about um, all things environmental as we speak. Um, so no great surprise the fact that HS2 is focused on uh, all things environmental. But just to give you a very quick recap, I've been writing about uh, and talking about construction and construction equipment and demolition, demolition equipment for 33 odd years. So during my time uh, here in the UK, I have seen, visited, reported on, I've lost count of how many major projects. Um, I I guess the one that, that really sticks in my mind is one of the early ones was... Uh, the construction of the Channel Tunnel and I came to the Channel Tunnel so early on that I actually went out on one of the rigs that was doing a test boring in the uh, in the channel um, to make sure that the rock was stable enough to actually take the, the tunnel when it was finally built so I was in there very very early days um, I guess I, I also caught the very very tail end of uh, the construction of the M25 which is a, a circular motorway that encompasses the whole of, the, of London so that was a major project as well. And then more recently, I guess we've had uh, the London 2012 Olympics and the preparations for that. And we've also had uh, Crossrail, which is, I think, still ongoing. And now we are going into HS2. And, and the one thing they've all had in common, I think, is the fact that they've all been used in one way or another to move the industry goalposts, to, to move us on to perhaps a, another level. Um, the, the one, I guess, that sticks in my mind was... Uh, on the London 2012 Olympics and the fact that a lot of the sites that were um, that were run as part of the preparation for the London Olympics um, there was in, an insistence on the fact that the equipment that was used on those sites uh, was in some way protected against theft. We had seen a lot of uh, plant theft, we still continue to see a lot of plant theft here in the UK, uh, but, the, but the London 2012 Olympics, or the, the build-up towards it and the preparations for it, was used to encourage um, specifically rental companies and plant hirers to equip their equipment with anti-theft devices, so tracking devices, um, anti-theft locks, uh, covert marking and and all the things that we, we know about um, some of that carried forward I think to uh, Crossrail and Crossrail um, also took on board I think that was 
sort of late stages of um, stage 3B emissions and over into stage 4 so there was a, a great deal of work done on that and obviously we're now into stage 5 and, and things like the HS2 um, project are now focused on stage 5 and even beyond so looking at literally zero emissions not just reduced emissions but zero emissions and, and HS2 is going to last for another decade or more so no great surprise that they are looking beyond the, the current situation and all of, all of which kind of makes me it, it brought to mind the term legacy in the preparations for the London 2012 Olympics there was a lot of talk about the word legacy what would be left after the, um, the demolition and construction works were completed well in the case of um, the London 2012 Olympics um, Stratford which was the, uh, the, the the basic hub of the, the London 2012 Olympics was in a very run-down uh, long deprived area of East London because of um, the London 2012 Olympics, the whole of that area was rejuvenated. Uh, it's now got an absolutely um, vast shopping centre. Uh, it's got a, an aquatic centre, which was used to host the uh, swimming events. Fairly sure it's got a velodrome as well, which was used to host the uh, cycling events. And of course, you know, the, the hub of the hub was the, uh, the Olympic Stadium, which is now home to my beloved West Ham. Um, and despite the fact that I, I still miss our old ground uh, down at um, Green Street and the bowling ground, um, it was well past its sell-by date and I have to grudgingly admit that the new one is much, much better. So I think in terms of, of actual tangible legacy, I think the legacy from London 2012 is there for all to see. I mean, you can literally visit some of the uh, the buildings and, and the infrastructure that was erected. But I also think, and I think I'm thinking more specifically now of HS2, there will be a legacy that will be partly invisible. So there will come a time in the uh, in the history and the story of HS2 where people will be able to travel to uh, from London to the um, to the north faster um, th there will be more capacity on um, on the trains because that's basically the reason for for the uh, development of HS2 so there will be this London to Birmingham and then Birmingham onwards up to the to the north of England there will be this huge railway network that we will be able to see and you'll be able to physically touch it and use it and you know people in the UK or visitors to the UK will be able to enjoy the benefits of HS2 but there will be other unseen benefits and those unseen benefits as, I, as I've rightly as I've said there about the studies that are being done into uh, the use of non-fossil fuels and uh, zero emissions fuels that will be the lasting legacy because certainly in my in my experience projects like HS2 the Channel Tunnel London 2012 Crossrail take the existing uh, construction systems methodologies technology and they move it along now that will not always stick there as I said with London 2012 there was an awful lot of work done to prevent theft it didn't become a universal thing but I think it gave everybody a flavor of what the industry would look like if machines and equipment were better protected and nobody took anti-theft devices off their machines once that job was done so all of those rental companies and plant hire companies and main contractors that had equipment on the London 2012 sites and they had additional um, anti-theft equipment on them those anti-theft systems remained and they became effectively a standard 
I'm expecting exactly the same thing with HS2. It will not be, HS2 will not drag the entire industry onto non-fossil zero emissions fuels overnight. No way. But we are, we are lo- we're losing um, red diesel benefits in April next year. So there is no question that red diesel is going away. Obviously, manufacturers like the JCBs and the Volvos of this world are working very, very hard on electric machines and on hydrogen fueled machines, all of which is that bit further away. What a project like HS2 will do is it will it will lay the groundwork. So they will do as they've got this benefit of having a, an environmental sciences uh, department and a team there. They will lay the groundwork for others to follow. So they, they, as I say, they've already checked out um, nitrogen dioxide and particle emissions on red diesel, red diesel with additives, uh, HVO fuels, HVO fuels with additives, and, and probably several other um, fuel sources as well. All of that will filter down and percolate down to the wider industry. So by the time HS2 is in full flight, or possibly by the time that HS2 actually finishes, the chances are that a lot of the learning curve that HS2 has gone through will then be handed down to the wider demolition and construction industry. Now, I've just mentioned the word demolition, and and the reason I do that, obviously this is demolition news. It's the demolition news channel, so that that is my it tends to be my primary interest on a day to day basis. When we're talking about things like HS2 and uh, the Channel Tunnel and London 2012 and Crossrail, there was a big involvement on all of those from the demolition industry. Um, here in the UK, we live on an island; we have finite resources, so in the main, anything new that needs to be built built requires something old to be removed and that's where the demolition industry comes in but there is, i think there is a differentiator a differentiator here in that whereas um i mean certainly the the job with um hs2 testing these uh, various fuels is being done jointly by hs2 limited but also by belfer bt and vinci which are one of the joint venture companies that are actually building um the hs2 rail we don't necessarily have that in the demolition industry, but what we do have, and what I've seen firsthand, is when the demolition industry butts up against an, another industry sector with perhaps greater focus on uh, safety or the environment. And I'm thinking specifically, I mean, a, a couple of instances actually. I've been on sites um, with the likes of Erith uh, here in the UK, who have worked very, very closely with the various rail companies. Um, and rail companies have their own sets of standards, from the very, very simplistic, the fact that all PPE on, on rail is um, orange. That's that's a minor thing. Uh, but they've all, they've also got lots of other health and safety systems. In order to win... Uh, work on um, track side and, and over track uh, demolition works. The likes of Erith have had to up their game in terms of safety. They've had to adopt some of the systems and solutions that are in place in the rail industry and make that a part of their standard operations uh, in, in day, on a day to day basis. I think more specifically with Erith, Erith have done quite a bit of work, and, and, and when I say Erith, I will also include in this uh, Brown and Mason, Kelpbray uh, Demolition Services. They've been working um, on power stations, and the energy companies, once again, have very specific and very 
high standards of health and safety. So once again, all of those contractors and all of the, the contractors that worked alongside them have had to raise their game to meet not just the modern needs of the demolition industry, but the needs of the you know a, a completely separate industry. And I think perhaps the biggest example is where we've had um, companies working alongside uh, maybe the nuclear industry. Um, which is probably the most exacting industry sector in the entire world for obvious reasons. So we've had a a generation of demolition contractors who have satisfied all of the known and the, the, the coming legislation on health and safety, but then they've raised it even further to meet the legislation and health and safety requirements of an entirely separate company, uh, an entirely separate industry rather. So as a result, you've got teams of people at the likes of Kelpray, Brown & Mason, Erith, uh, Demolition Services. All of these companies have now had that learning experience with power stations and nu- the nuclear industry, which they can then feed back into their main line of business. Because one of the great things about that kind of work is it's not constant. So you'll have a team of people, and I'm going to use Erith as an example. Erith have had in place for some years a team that is dedicated to uh, all things power station related. But power stations aren't generally constant work. You know, there's there's one to be done and then maybe there's a gap. Well, those people aren't then rendered unemployed. They go back into the main demolition team at Erith. And they can then cross-pollinate the information and, and the systems that they've learned working with power stations can then be applied to general demolition so taking down a tower block taking down a bridge whatever it might be so you you're now getting a, a situation where you've got um i guess methodologies and safety systems that you've learned working in exacting industries like power generation or nuclear power and you're now applying that possibly even to the demolition of a house possibly all of which is that that it goes back to what i was saying earlier it is part of a legacy it is taking a project learning from it and then taking those learnings forward um and as i say a lot of that will be unseen by the time hs2 um actually is delivered we'll have hundreds of miles of of rail network um, that will make travel in the uk that much easier and that much faster but there will be an unseen benefit and that unseen benefit will be lower emissions on construction sites i think better trained people um more people because that i mean there and there is another part of that legacy hs2 reported recently that in the first year of of operation it had uh, created 20,000 new jobs and all those 20,000 new jobs have required some form of training some of it will be low level so just making people ready to actually go on site and to you know to make them ready for you know the first step of of the ladder in the construction industry but there will be more and there will be ongoing training is an ongoing process in in the construction industry so they might have started with just a, a competence guard that allows them onto the site but they can then go to you know the next level up operative manager project manager and so on down the line so that's 20,000 jobs and 20,000 skilled people in one year that HS2 will have created which is if if there is no other legacy that will be a fantastic one obviously as I mentioned in the last episode of this no agenda show that's only a tiny fraction of what we actually need Um, we are looking We've got a situation in the UK here now where we are 
uh, faced with an incoming glut of work from the infrastructure sector, um, which is it's estimated it's going to be £650 billion spent on UK infrastructure over the next uh, decade. And that is going to require an estimated 425,000 people a year. Um, the fact that HS2 has created 20,000 in a year is an, an astonishing achievement, but we've now got to do roughly 20 times that many within the next three years for the start of that infrastructure spend. Um, I'm not entirely sure where they're going to come from. Um, I, I, based on previous experience, and we're very bad at attra attracting people into the industry. I don't know what needs to change uh, to make that better, but something does need to give. But regardless of what happens with all of that, we are going to end up with a legacy. And that legacy for HS2 is going to be a better rail network, which is fantastic. We're going to have easier travel in the UK, also fantastic. We're going to have lower emissions on construction and demolition standards using proven technology. This is not just something that's been created in a laboratory or assured by a manufacturer. This has been tried and tested in real life conditions on real life and very, very demanding sites. So that will be a major step forward. And then the other part of the legacy is going to be those additional people that are skilled, experienced, trained, and that have actually had, that they've actually experienced construction and demolition firsthand. Um, and it's, it's impossible to overstate the importance of that, I think. Um, I'm going to go off at a slight tangent now. Uh, tomorrow night at six o'clock on our Diggers and Dozers uh, Facebook page and YouTube page. We're launching a new show called the uh, Site Equipment Show, um, which is going to be, as the name suggests, a show dedicated to site equipment. The reason I've called it the Site Equipment Show is um, back in the day here in the UK, we had an exhibition called the Site Equipment De Demonstration, or SED as it was known uh, by those that visited it. Uh, I was very fortunate in that I started in the construction industry or writing about construction, I think it was 1987, 88, and one of the first jobs that I had was to report on an SED. So I went from writing about hotels and restaurants, bizarrely, um, to joining a construction magazine and then visiting this astonishing display of not just equipment but equipment working so that you know there were lots of working demonstrations so you could see diggers digging and dumpers dumping and dozers pushing and, and all the things that go with it and before that SED I as far as I was concerned I was I was always destined to be a, a journalist that was what I, I had set in my mind as a career path but I had no real notion of what I planned to write about but I came away from that SED hooked absolutely hooked um, and here we are 33 odd years later and I'm still writing about talking about broadcasting about uh, all things demolition and construction which brings us back to the point of our biggest challenge I think with with attracting people to the industry is is attracting them in the first place but that's that's all we need to do because I, I genuinely think that once you've done that once you've actually got people onto a site and got them to see and experience construction and demolition equipment up close and personal so they can smell the diesel and they can hear the squeak of the tracks um, and they can see the power of these machines 
I think they're hooked. Um, interestingly enough, I mean, my, my son, who is usually behind the camera when I'm doing these things, um, he went to university to study uh, music technology. He's a keen guitarist, keen musician, um, but he helped me out with some video work, which he seemed to enjoy. Um, he's much better, a much better cameraman than I am, so uh, he did a, quite a bit of work with that. He did some video editing for me, and then I took him onto a site. And from the moment I took him on site, he, like me, was hooked. Um, and um, now that's that's where he's at his best, you know. It, show him a, a demolition site um, and give him a camera and that's when he's at his happiest um, if you tune into tomorrow's show funnily enough uh, tomorrow night show side equipment show which is 6pm UK time you will actually see one of his films uh, which we shot with the good people at Rye Group uh, Rye Group have just switched over to HVO Fuels um, they've gone all all in on HVO Fuels they've got a new fleet of I think it's I can't remember if it's three or four new Caterpillar excavators, demolition spec excavators, they've added to their fleet, all of which are now running on HVO fuel. And there's a film that is part of our, our show tomorrow night, as I say, six o'clock UK time, uh, on the Facebook page of Diggers and Dozers and the YouTube page of Diggers and Dozers as well. Mm -hmm.